We are finishing up our series in the book of Isaiah, and we are in chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. So hear God's word this morning. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or in the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, well, let me add a, a good morning to you as well. I'm, uh, my name is Tim, and I serve as one of the, the pastors here, and it's good to have you with us. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 65. Uh, that's the passage we're going to be in uh, this morning in our last series uh, in our Advent series in Isaiah. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, to that text. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, the verses here, like, there's immense hope there and. God, as we think about a new heavens, new earth, we think about what happens um, after we die. Uh, well, there's incredible hope here, and I just pray you'd make it real to us. Uh, do that by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a bad ending ruins a good story. And the example, or best examples of that are, you, know, you get to the end of a movie, you get to the end of a TV series, uh, a book, and no, even if it... It was an amazing experience up until that ending. If the ending isn't, isn't good, if it doesn't land, whatever was good up until that point, it's irrelevant, right? It doesn't matter. The story's ruined. It's not, it's not good anymore. A bad ending ruins a good story. An example of that, this past summer, uh, my wife and I, we took uh, our ten, a 10-year anniversary trip uh, together. It was the first time we'd had expended, extended time without children uh, um, in our marriage. It's like been seven years since we spent a week alone together, and so it was quite, it was quite nice. Um, and when we got off the plane, the first thing we wanted to do together was go see a movie, because we love movies, and ever since we've had kids, going to a movie is very difficult, mostly because we just can't stay awake uh, during movies anymore with kids. Like, you get in a room, the lights go off, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to sleep instead. And it's typically what we do, so, but we, wanted, we really wanted to see this movie. I wanted to go see a movie. So we get to the theater, and there's two choices in front of us. My choice was I really wanted to see the Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Right, lighthearted, guaranteed tears of joy. You're going to feel better about life leaving the theater. Um, but however, Misty really wanted to see the movie uh, First Reformed. 
Uh, it got a really high Rotten Tomatoes sto- uh, score, Oscar buzz. Uh, Ethan Hawke is like probably going to win Best Actor for it. And so she's like, let's go, all right, let's go be adults and see this really uh, compelling artistic movie. And I was like, no, let's come on, let's just keep it light. Mr. Rogers, I want to have some joy leaving uh, the place. And listen, if you maybe you saw First Reform, there's a guy in the, the uh, first service, he saw it, and he's like, have you seen First Reformed? It's so good. And I'm like, you're wrong, but there's something wrong with you. Um, but if you're a movie critic, you probably love it. If you've seen it, you know, if you're a movie buff, you're probably all about it. But I, listen, so the, mo- the ending of that movie was so disturbing and weird. I, I wanted to do something I've never done in a movie, which is I wanted to get up and walk out. And there's only one reason that I did not get up and walk out. And the reason was that the longer I sat in that movie, uh, the more my wife owed me for making me sit in that movie. And this is that, when we got out of the theater, and the moment we got out of the theater, she's like, I am so sorry I made you sit through that. And I'm like, you know what? We can probably, we can probably find a way to make this even. Um, around a golf to a hundred, like that, you know, you owe me. Let's let you know. So that's the only reason I didn't walk um, out of that movie. Uh, it was a terrible ending. And uh, bad, yeah, right. Bad endings ruin uh, good, good stories. And, and this week we were watching uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol uh, with our three kids. And I love that. I love the story. I love the Muppets version of that story. And and about halfway through the the movie, my middle son Micah, he's five. Uh, he like he gets up and he comes over to me with a concerned face. And like the the you know the ghost of Christmas future hasn't even come yet. The death character hasn't even come yet. But he comes to me. And I have no idea what he's thinking. But he comes to me in, in, in seriousness, and he asks me, uh, Papa, are, are the Muppets going to die? I was like, man, this is, this is a dark kid. Like, this is Christmas. Like, what do, you, what do you see? And yet, that would be a terrible ending, right? All the Muppets die and children just crying at the theater. Like, the, we wouldn't watch that uh, every Christmas if that's the ending of the story. Bad endings ruin good, uh, good stories. And, and that's not, none of us, as cheesy as, as they are, we always want a good ending. We always want and they happily lived ever after. So I've given you two bad endings to stories. Let me give you what I think is the best ending to any TV series, movie, story, book that I've ever read, and it's the, the end of the seven-book series, Chronicles of Narnia. When you get to the last lines of, of that book, C.S. Lewis, the way he ends the, his, his story, those stories is, is this way. It says, All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's an amazing ending, right? The story, the story's not over. It's actually just beginning. And everything you've read is only but a foretaste of, of the goodness uh, uh, to come. And so thinking about endings, story, that's what Isaiah 65 is. And I just want to add, like, what... What's the ending to our human story? Right? What's to your life? What's the ending um, to it? Is the ending one that's so disturbing, disgusting, disappointing that you just get up and walk out? Right? Are the Muppets going to die? Is that our ending? Or uh, is Isaiah 65 true? Is, is our death just the, you know, our life, the title, the cover page? And our death marks the beginning of a story that gets better and better and better and better. What's, what's true? In Isaiah 65, it, it, it says our ending is Narnia. New heavens, new earth. And, 
And I want to think about Isaiah 65 uh, together, um, I think in a way that Isaiah would want us to think about it, which is, is I want to start by asking, why, why is this so hard to believe? Why is a good ending hard to believe? I'm get, like, as I describe new heavens, new earth, right, a good ending, you die and it only gets better from there. Like a part of us, we're skeptical. Like, is that true? Is that, is that really what happens when you, when you die? Um, I think it's not, we're, probably there's skepticism here. So why, like, why is it hard for us to believe that? Um, and yet second, point two, will be why it's not hard for us to believe in a good ending. And then thirdly, how we wait for a good ending. So why it's hard to believe, why it's not hard to believe, um, and how you, you wait. So first, why, why it's hard, why there's skepticism, I think, in us. When I say, hey, listen, when we die, uh, it all gets better from there. Why, and that, that may be hard for us um, to believe. And to start, remember Isaiah, uh, we've been in the book of Isaiah for six weeks, um, and, and he's writing to a people who live in exile, which means they had lived in a different place. They lived in Israel, in Jerusalem, and they were forcibly removed from that place through war and violence, and they were forced to go live in Babylon, uh, a place that didn't like them, that didn't respect them, and so they, they had, their experience of life was enormous suffering and violence and war, strife, death. Like, that was their experience. And, and so as Isaiah, he's been, you know, we've been in the, this, um, the, the last half of the book of Isaiah, and he's encouraged them with comfort and with good news and with joy. And now he's going he's gonna to go beyond just, hey, your life is terrible now in exile, but there's hope coming. Now to saying, even if you die in exile, God is going to remake the heavens and, and, and earth. And so he, he starts his good news, this, this, the way our human story is going to end to Isaiah, verse 17 um, for behold, this is God speaking, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And there's a couple, thi- there's a couple things about this. One is, is obviously first, this is like God is injecting himself into our world. Right? This, we don't make the world a better place into a heaven, right? We can't, like God is going to do something unique <clears throat> um, and new. And then secondly, uh, the former things shall not be remembered, which... Uh, is what, what's, what God is saying there is everything that was painful, that was hard, that, was, that made life difficult, suffering, death, all of these things um, that hurt, uh, the bad things we did wrong, like the, the things that make us ashamed, the things that hurt us, we're not going to remember any of those things. Right? The former things shall not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In other words, you're not going to be in the new heavens, new earth, and suddenly be like, oh, man, that one time when I you know, cut that person off in traffic or like insert way worse sin like into that. We're not going to, it's not going to be remembered. Um, the J.R. Tolkien had a way of, of saying this, a phrase, that everything sad will come untrue. It's not that it didn't happen. We just won't remember it. It'll be gone in some, in some sense. And this is important because the way Isaiah is going to talk about the new heavens and new earth is very unique in the Bible. In that Isaiah, the way he talks about the new heavens and new earth is very earthly. And what he does, he uses earthly experience to describe the new heavens and, and new earth. And that's important because if you don't understand that, it, you're, you, know, you might be likely to overread uh, what, what he's saying and, and misunderstand what he's, he's saying. That what Isaiah is doing, he's, sort of, he's weaving in and out of human experience uh, to explain what, what life beyond the grave looks like, what new heavens, new earth life looks like. And the reason he does that, I think, is because our current experience of this world makes it very difficult to believe we're in store for a good ending. And, and there's three ways uh, Isaiah does this in the text. The first, uh, and I'm actually going to work backwards in the text, 
The first, that in this world that you and I live in, it, it appears that evil always gets the last word. So look with me at, at verse 25 uh, in, verse, in chapter 65. Isaiah writes, so this is the new heavens and new earth. This is what will happen. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Now that, that's good news because wolf and wolf typically eats the lamb, right? They don't snuggle uh, one's food for the other. But this this mention of the serpents, uh, it, it's a callback to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis three, and and we're actually we're going to preach on this text in a, in a few months. Um, but there, there's a serpent who appears, and I know this is strange for us, but but just uh, it, it's actually a really powerful explanation of why evil um, entered into the world. And the serpent uh, is present, and the serpent uh, is what leads us into evil, human beings into evil, and, and why we experience evil now. And later, when Jesus is talking about the serpent in John 8, he says the serpent, the devil, however you want to call him, um, the primary aim of the serpent, the devil, in our world today is to destroy, is to murder, is the word Jesus uses. Satan's only ends is to, is to murder, is to destroy. And actually, you know, you know, serpent, talking snake, uh, evil, all of those things, like, that makes sense, right? Doesn't it feel like there's, some, there's just something at loose in the world that every time we, we build something good, someone just knocks it down? Or maybe that's just my life with three boys is, you know, we have these magnetiles and our boys will construct this massive tower and then my youngest son, Abel, will just go and he'll just knock it down. He's a Satan-like character in our, in our home at this point. And he just destroys. And there, it just feels like there's something in this world that's trying to tear down everything that's good. And what Isaiah is saying is in the new heavens and new earth that there will be no hurt. There will be no destruction. Right? The serpent will eat dust. Right? He'll be gone. The serpent will be gone. And there will be no more hurts. There will be no more destruction. Evil won't have the last word. And yet, in this world, it feels like, at times, evil does get the last word. And often, uh, you look through the history of the world, it, that's what it looks like. The second, uh, the second thing Isaiah goes at is that it, it, it appears like our work, um, our work is futile. And here's, here's what he says in verse 21. Uh, he says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. And they shall pull, uh, so again, this is talking about new heavens, new earth. In the new heavens, new earth, we will build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Now, this may not mean much to us, um, but again, Isaiah, he's writing to people in exile who had built a city, who had built a country that they were forcibly removed from, and other people got to live in that city, and other people got to, to work in the vineyards and, and live in the houses, and, and now they lived in Babylon, a place that one day they would leave uh, and, and not live in, and so they built houses and vineyards that one day that were, they weren't going to, um, to, uh, to be able to taste the fruit of, and this, like, this speaks to a, what most human beings through history have experienced, which is that I work really hard with my hands, but ultimately I don't really get to taste the fruit of my work. Right? And to be and like, this probably isn't a thing that's relevant for many of us in this room because this is like this speaks to slavery. This speaks to unjust economic practices. Um, right? Like slaves, they they labored in in fields or in plantations. They created product, economic goods that they didn't get to have any of. The, like they didn't get the fruit of that. They didn't get to live in the houses that 
um, they, they built. And so you might even have, you might have an incredible work ethic. You might work incredibly hard, and yet all of your hard work goes to someone else. Right? You plant the vineyard, and someone else makes the wine and drinks it, or someone else eats the grapes, not you. And that is how most of the world works. And that's how even a lot of people in our own society, that's how they experience our economy. They work very hard, and they, they manage just enough to get by. They don't really get to taste the fruit of their economic um, labor. Someone else gets it. And Isaiah says in the new heavens and new earth, when you work really hard, um, everything will come, will come back to you. You'll get to taste all of your fruit. If you build a house, you get to live in it. Right? If you plant a vineyard, you get, to, you get to have all the economic fruit. And so to people who had been economically oppressed, like, this, is really, this is good news. And yeah, I think there's even a way it's relevant for us in that like, when, if you try to do some good in this world, like work for justice or um, you know, care for someone who is, is, um, uh, who is, in, is, is in need, it, it just seems like you try to labor really hard to do good and to produce good fruit, and it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And Isaiah said that, when in the new, that won't be true in the new heavens and new earth. When you work for something good, it'll, it'll happen. It'll come to pass. And yet that's not experience in this life. And it can make us begin to wonder, is there a good ending? Right? I work so hard and almost like nothing comes of it. Right? I look around, evil gets the last word. Um, and the third thing Isaiah speaks to, which it's, the, it's actually the first thing he speaks through, but it's the most powerful thing he, he speaks to, the one thing that I think prevents us more than any other from really believing we're in store for a good ending is we are all weary from, from death. And the most powerful line, I think, the, at least to me, the most powerful verse in this chapter, verse 20, says, No more shall there be in it, in the earth, in the new heavens and new earth, an infant who lives but a few days, an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, there's a couple things here, uh, which is why you can't read this too literally, because um, Isaiah, he's using, he's using metaphors. And so he says, well, in new heavens, new earth, a young man will die a hundred years old. And it's like, wait, do people die? In, like, that doesn't, I didn't think that was true. So am I going to die in the new heavens, new earth? No, Isaiah, he's using poetry. And remember, he's writing to people's present experience. And people, the present experience of people in this day was war. And what happens in war is young men die. A lot of young men die. And that was their experience, was that their sons or their brothers had died at a young age. Age And Isaiah is giving them an image of, of in the new heavens, new earth, if you die at 100 years old, which is a, a, an age basically no one lives to, if you die at 100 years old, that's a young death. Right? He's using an experience they have um, to speak something very powerful to them. And, and here, so here's the point. J.A. Mortier, he's probably the best uh, Isaiah scholar I think we have. Here's how he explains why there's death in Isaiah's depiction of the new heavens, new earth. Here's what he writes. He says, so it is that in this present order of things, death cuts off life before it is well begun or before it is fully matured. But it will not be so then. No infant will fail to enjoy life, nor an elderly person come short of total fulfillment. Indeed, one would be but a youth were one to die aged 100. This does not imply death will still be present, but rather affirms that over the whole of life, as we should now say, for infancy to old age, the power of death will be destroyed. 
Right? So there's no death in heaven or new heavens, new earth. And in fact, Isaiah's actually, he's already talked about this. He's already talked about resurrection, about new life, not being death. And so in Isaiah 20, uh, 6, 19, he says this. He says, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For you, your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And so what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 65 is all those ways death has worn you out. Right? God forbid an infant die at young age. Right? An experience probably all of us are close to. The experience of even someone who's of, of ripe age uh, dying unexpectedly. Right? An old man cut off too soon. Or a young man dying before his, his time. All of those ways, death just works its way into our life and wears us out and makes us skeptical and cynical. Isaiah, all of those ways are going to be gone in the new heavens and new earth. This is a, like this is he's he's not just saying hey you'll never die because that would be a nice thing to, to hear he's actually he's he's entering into their experience and and speaking meaningful meaningfully to people who who saw many young men die at a young age um, and saying that won't be that won't happen anymore and this is a verse this is a verse is incredibly meaningful um, you know to me many of you you've walked with my wife and I over the last couple of years. Our son, Isaiah, our oldest son, um, was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy uh, last March in, in 2017. And one of the muscular dystrophy primarily affects uh, boys, young boys, um, you know, cutting their lifespan uh, tremendously. And obviously, we don't think about our son, you know, life expectancy. We don't, we don't like that. It's a day at a time. Um, and yet, that's a real experience. And we're a part of a community now where every family who's a part of that community either has experienced a young child, a young son dying, or that's in, that's in our future. That's what's coming um, in, in the future. And so when I, I told my wife, you know, we're going to, I'm preaching on heaven. What, like, what do people, what, what do people who aren't like Bible nerds like me, what do they want to, like, what do they want to know? And she's just like, I just read verse 20 and it, and it wrecked me. And, 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 it, and it did me too, obviously. Um, and it hits right at this point where Isaiah starts with us, which is on the one hand, my son's diagnosis gives me incredibly, incredible cynicism and skepticism about this world. Like, is there any goodness in this world? Muscular, it's a dev, like it's a terrible disease, terrible, um, a terrible thing. And yet, here's God saying, um, "In the new heavens, new earth, a young man shall die a hundred years old." And it's, it's, I mean, it speaks right to our hearts. And so it's, but it's, it's incredible joy, right, alongside incredible suffering, and cynicism, and skepticism, and weariness. And that's right where Isaiah goes, it goes at us. He knows, like, if you live in this world, it's hard to believe we're in store for a good ending. And so he speaks. He's like, listen, new heavens, it's life without death. It's joy without sorrow. It's work without futility. Evil doesn't have the last word. Even though that's all your experience right now, that's not what's coming. And yet, that's why I start with it. Why is this hard to believe? It's because this world, it's hard to believe in a good ending in this world. It just is. And yet, uh, it's not hard to believe. And here's what I mean. Uh, in 20 years, uh, no one is going to watch the movie First Reformed anymore. Because the ending is like, you're, you're not going to subject yourself to that ever again. And yet, like, what stories do we keep watching again and again and again? My, uh, a part of, uh, with Isaiah, part of muscular dystrophy, we have to do stretches every night. And so we watch YouTube clips of Disney movies, and we, their latest deal has been Aladdin. And I love, that's like my favorite story growing up as a kid. And it's like, what's, what's Aladdin about? Like, did Aladdin die in the Cave of Wonders, right, at the beginning? And, you know, the genie, no, it's like, what's, what's the story of Aladdin 
about? It's about overcoming evil, right? It's about, it's, it's about joy everlasting. They happily lived ever after. Right? That, that's the stories we tell. That's why we take our kids to Disney World. Not, like, there's not going to be a first Reformed world where it's like, hey, come be miserable for a week with your family. Or maybe, maybe you do that at Disney World too. I don't know. But like at Disney World, what's the, the stories there are overcoming death, of, of evil being conquered, of joy. and it, like That's the whole idea. And we create a whole world to go and visit that because what rings true to us as human beings is life without death, joy without sorrow, hope, right? And so, um, and so we keep telling ourselves these stories. We keep telling ourselves stories that evil does not get the last word, right? Every year, there's like 100 comic book movies that come out, Marvel, DC, whatever, and this, it's the same story, right? Some evil dude like, tries to destroy the world, and some good person comes up and stops them. Like, that's, it's the same story over and over again, and we are like, yeah, I'll pay 20 bucks for that, right? It's the same story, and the reason we want to watch that same story is because we know it's true. We know evil doesn't get the last word, right? Or we keep telling ourselves uh, stories. We keep singing songs that our labor is not in vain. One of my, you know, as a musician, one of the, my favorite uh, styles, types of music are, are Negro spirituals, um, songs created by slaves as they worked in vain. They built houses they didn't live in. They built uh, fields they didn't get the fruit from. And they created this powerful song form called the Negro Spiritual, which is very, it's very simplistic songs, but they're very powerful. And all of the songs are about heaven. And so, uh, you know, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or uh, one, another good one is called Steal Away. And I love the last line of each, uh, <coughs> each, uh, each verse of that song is, I ain't got long to stay here. And I love that, like, you know, slaves, totally oppressed, no hope of justice, uh, economically displaced, and yet, I don't, I ain't got long to stay here. And, they, and those songs persist with us, right? The, you know, there are pop songs from the 50s and 60s maybe you know about, right? Maybe they last for another 10 or 15 years, but, the, like, those songs have lasted long past slavery because they speak to a, a, an experience, something we know to be true, that we don't labor in vain. There's a better place than, than where we are now. And we keep telling stories of, of resurrection. Right, one of the most powerful uh, you know, stories of, of Muppet's Christmas Carol, uh, or actually A Christmas Carol, um, or you know, whatever version you want, you want uh, to, to, to watch. But um, uh, you know, this is the character Tiny Tim, right? He's, uh, he, uh, you know, he's crippled, he can't walk, and so he's, he goes to church with his, his dad, um, Bob Cratchit. And at church, uh, when they're coming home, Bob you know, tells his wife, you know, Tiny Tim said at church, maybe, uh, maybe people seeing me there... Uh, you know, a, a tiny person who can't walk will remind people of Jesus who healed people so that they could walk, right? And you just, you know, you're crying, you're losing it, or at least you should be if you have a heart, um, you know, at this point. And it's, it's power. And then what happens, right, is, you know, Scrooge gets ghosts from Christmas future, and he goes to Bob Cratchit's house in Tiny Tim. He's dead, right? He's died. And, and, and you're, you know, again, you're crying again. It's sad. And then, you know, uh, Scrooge repents. He goes to Bob Cratchit's house, and he says, I'm going to pay for all the medical bills, all that. And Tiny Tim lives. He doesn't, it's a story of resurrection, right? Tiny Tim, he's dead and now he's alive. And that story lasts with us. You know, um, you know Charles Dickens was not a Christian, um, or Gonzo, depending on what version uh, you're watching. Not a, but he tells a story of resurrection because we know it's true. Like we know, and, and, and so what I, like logically, is it hard to believe in a good ending? Yes. And yet everything in our, in our being, emotionally, right? Like how we feel about this world is that evil doesn't get the last word is that our labor is not in vain, is that life will come without death. And if you think like, hey, that's, you know, well, that's, that's just closing your eyes and whistling past the grave. No, like, no, like, listen to your heart, <laughs> right? To a culture that says, believe your heart, you know, believe, like, 
there's a reason we keep telling these stories. There's a reason these stories last with us and resonate with us. And it's not because we live in a world where resurrection exists, where evil doesn't exist, where, um, where it's easy to think our labor's all good. Like, we don't live in that. We live in a world that's very hard to believe, and yet everything in our core of being wants to. And there's a reason for that. Like, that we want to taste that. We have a longing for that because somewhere there's a world that exists. And what Isaiah is saying is at some point in history, God is going to inject himself into this place and make this place that place. The place where there is no death, where there is joy without sorrow, where there is um, um, hope and peace and goodness. Like that world is coming, Isaiah says, and we want it to. And so that's why it's easy to believe. So just believe. And so, the, okay, so if we believe, how do we wait for that ending? And I want to say three things uh, about this um, <clears throat> that Isaiah gets into. And the first thing uh, is, is we live on the edge. If you're a Christian, you live on the edge. Um, and here's what I mean. Like Isaiah 65, what makes it unique in talking about what, go- what comes after our, our death is that it, it puts our, joy, our sufferings, our sorrows, our pain right alongside our joys and our hopes. Right? It's right next to the death of children, you have life without death. Right next to uh, um, immoral and unjust economic life, you have um, people planting and building houses that they, they live in. Right next to violence, you have peace and reconciliation. And so uh, Fleming, uh, Fleming Rutledge, a retired Episcopal, uh, Episcopal priest, um, she just released a book containing a lot of her writings and sermons on Advent, on Christmas, and she wrote about this, she, and she used this phrase, living as a Christian in this time is life on the edge. And here's what she meant by this. Uh, she writes, the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory yet to come. So we, like, we live in tension. We, we have experienced the evil and brokenness and death in this world, and yet we, we believe Isaiah 65 is true, that something better is coming. We live right between those two times. And that's why the Bible often, when it talks about the new heavens and new earth, it talks about childbirth. Right? So we're, uh, um, we're expecting our fourth child now. And, and even though I've done this three times, uh, with, I shouldn't say I've done this. With, I've done nothing uh, in the three times this has happened. Missy's done everything. I've just been, I've been present. I've been, I've been alive. That's all I've done. Um, but I'm, I'm nervous for the fourth one because our third one, Abel, um, he was born about 20 minutes after we got to the hospital. Right, so it was like we it's like oh we're in labor let's go and it's like baby right it's, and so that meant no modern medicine uh, and so it was it was it was an intense twenty minutes um, I'll just and I've tried like the former thing shall not be remembered that's what I've tried where I tried to put that there were things screamed that I don't want to think about anymore like it was an intense painful for her obviously um, intense painful process and and then you know twenty minutes later like we're holding Timothy Abel like our, this beautiful child this new life. And that's why the Bible, like the Bible talks about, we live right in the midst, there's a baby coming, and there's, there's, there's lots of screaming, and there's, it's intense, and it's painful, and it's hard, and we're on the cusp of something beautiful and joyful and, and truly real, and that's, that's where we live as Christians, it's right on the edge of that. We embrace both the coming joy and the, the reality of this world in which we, we live. So live on the edge, one, but second, um, as you wait for the new heavens and new earth, practice for heaven. And here's what I mean by that. In, uh, in high school, I, I was on the golf team, and whenever we had a match at a new golf course, we'd go and practice there before, um, before we go and play there for a real match. And there was one course we played in particular that was really difficult, 
and you know, it was, a, it was a slow summer day. No one else was on the course. And we got to this green, and it was like this giant, it was a giant green up a huge hill. And what we realized, because we were dumb high school students, is like it was almost like a putt-putt green where like you could putt the ball up like 50 feet up this hill and then back down and, and make it in the hole. Like you could just putt it way up and then, and then back down. So we spent like 30 minutes trying to do this, trying to putt a ball up a hill 50 feet and then it comes back down 50 feet. And finally, after like 30 minutes, someone did it. It wasn't me. I would remember that. It wasn't me. It was someone else. And, and then we celebrated on the green. Like we had made this the major accomplishment when actually we'd been wasting 30 minutes because we would never try that in a match. You know, I never, like, playing golf for real, think I'm going to put up this giant hill and back down. We would never do that. And here's the thing, like, many of us, we live life doing things we're never going to do in heaven. Right, we have rhythms and practices and attitudes that are, are going to be irrelevant once we're dead, and yet we practice them, right? It's, every time you're anger and persistent anger, every time you refuse to, to forgive someone, every time, like, you act out of kind, you know, not in kindness to someone, like, you're not going to act like that in heaven, so don't practice that, right? And there's two, there's two primary experiences at the center of Isaiah 65, which are peace and joy. Peace and joy. And we talked about joy last week, um, so if you want more on that, there's a podcast on that. But peace in particular, that last line, um, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, right? There shall be no hurting, no destruction in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Like Christians should be people of deep peace who bring peace to the world around us. And that, like, so practice that, right? That's, that's going to be your experience in heaven, so start now. Right, like who, and listen, this isn't to say there's no, there are hard things to forgive in this world, but like, Start making peace now. That's going to be your eternity. So just start, like, practice that now. Don't practice vindictiveness. Don't practice uh, anger. Don't practice, you know, backbiting. Make peace. Forgive. Show kindness because that's your eternity. So start, practice now. <laughs> right, so practice for heaven. Uh, live on the edge. And thirdly, and most importantly, keep speaking to your God. All right, verse 24 is where we'll end. Um, God says, the new heavens and new earth will be such that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And the image is like God is so close that before I even open my mouth to say something to him, he's already responded to me. He's already responded to me. We'll be so close in, in communion with, with God. And that's really important because I think, like, at least when I was a kid, you know, when I thought of new heavens, new earth, I always thought, like, the, you know, are there, is there, are there golf courses and donuts? Right, and we've, co- we've already covered that this morning. When you walked in, there were donuts, and I've used two golf illustrations this morning, right? It's, uh, like, it's still there. Um, and yet, like, heaven, it's not a place where you get to see dead relatives. I mean, it is, but, like, that's not the point. Um, sorry, that was just, like, really depressing. That's, this just took a bad turn, didn't it? Um, that's not the point of heaven, though. It's not, oh, that person that I met. Like, my grandfather, who died last year, um, I can't wait to see him again, but that's not the point of heaven. It's a part of it, but it's not the point. It's not, there's not donuts. It's not about donuts. It's not about golf courses. It's not about like, you know, heaven's the place where all the things I like are there and all the things I don't are. The point of heaven is God is there. Right? God is, is, is what makes heaven worth uh, being there. His presence, his relationship, like him knowing us, like that is what makes heaven heaven. And the question for us is like, do you want that world now? Do you want God speaking to you now? Do you want him interfering with your life now? Because if the answer is no, like heaven doesn't make, like it's not going to make sense to you. Right? You, can't, you don't get golf courses in heaven, but not God. Like there's, there's, there's a different place the Bible talks about after death that where God isn't there. And it's, that's not a good place. 
And Isaiah doesn't go there, so we're not going to go there this morning. But Isaiah clearly goes to what makes heaven heaven or what makes the new heavens, new earth new is God. God says, I'm creating these and it's going to be a place such that I'm so present and active that before you ever speak, I'm, I'm, I'm at work. I'm there. I'm, I'm next to you. And before you even call, I'm going to answer. Like, that is what makes the new heavens and new earth so powerful. And is that the world you want? Right? And if, so if there's any, like, you know, New Year's resolution time, it's like, I'm new habits, I'm going to do it right this time. And even though none of us are, I mean, that's okay. Um, if there's one practice, it's pr- just the, the, the defining practice, I think, as Christian, is prayer. Speak to God. Right? To keep speaking to your God as you wait for him to make all things New, because even though this is going to be more true for us, Isaiah 65 is going to be more true than the new heavens, new earth. We're going to have more of a relationship with God then than we have now. And yeah, it's it, if you're a Christian, it is true for you today that before you ever call, called on God, He answered you. That before you ever spoke, He was already at work. And that's already true for us, right? Because our story, the center of our Christian faith, it's not just future, right? It's not just what's coming. It's what's past. Is that we believe the Son of God became man entered into our our world, went to a cross for us. Jesus, a young man who died well before his time, who suffered much of what was not owed um, him, who was given a terrible ending to his story, a cross, a brutal murder, mocked in open shame. He, He did all of that for us so that we would have a better ending, right? So that we would have a future. And it's, it's an ending, um, that's not offered, uh, by a God who doesn't understand all that we experience. He understands death. He knows what death is like. He knows what suffering is like. He knows what evil is. He's tasted all of those things. He's been there. He's been to a cross. And it's why this morning, like Isaiah 65, this idea that God would one day um, answer us when we call, or he'd be so responsive to us, before we ever spoke, he would already respond. That's already true for us as Christians. right? Before we ever called for him, he answered us on a tree on Calvary. And so keep speaking to your God. He's already answered. In this new year, make prayer the most important practice of your life and find that God has already answered everything you've ever prayed for before you even opened your mouth. Let's pray. Father, as we as we turn now to sing and to respond to these words, Lord, I pray you would would make these words true to us. God, all of us in our, like in our hearts, we long for this world, a world of joy without sorrow, life without death, work without futility, peace and reconciliation without, without war. And yet, Lord, we can't, we can't do that. And we can't even Lord, believe that without your help. So we just open ourselves up to you now, Lord, for you um, to make those things true of us and in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.